Do you remember getting something new? <laughs> when you got it new, you would take care of it. You'd keep it safe. Maybe it was the first time that you uh, got a new car or a new-to-you car, because even used cars are cleaned well and polished and they have that, that new car smell. When you got that car that was new or new to you, you did everything you could to keep it having that new sensation, that new feeling. One of the things I bet you did, if you're like me, was keep food out as long as possible. No one was allowed to bring any food or drinks inside your vehicle for, for a time. But then the vehicle gets a little older and the, the newness kinds of fades away. The smell of the new car smell, it goes away. And so you start to think, well, you know what? I'm in a hurry this morning and I'll take some coffee. I'll take it in my stainless steel mug with that lockable lid so it won't spill. But then just at that moment, you're opening the lid to take a sip while you're driving and you hit a small bump and a little bit splashes out everywhere. You can't see all of the splashes. And that leads to, well, I'm running a little late. I don't have time to make coffee. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to buy some coffee. And those cups that coffee comes in, they're not always secure either. And so a little bump while you're driving, oh no, some more coffee spills. And pretty soon it's ice cream with the kids in the back as they're taking a lick of a scoop of ice cream. The scoop falls off the cone and down onto their shoes and then onto the floor. And of course, that always leads to, here's French fries stuffed between seats. And here's a, you know, a used tissue that's under the seat that you forgot and couldn't even find. Or gum residue that kind of got close to where you stick garbage from time to time, but you missed and just kind of forgot about it. Let alone all of the dust and the dirt that happens in every season, no matter uh, what season we're in, winter, summer, fall, spring, there's always something that gets stuck to the car or stuck in the car where eventually the car goes from, from new and exciting and it becomes old and uninteresting. And that happens to people with their faith as well. Just like a car, faith that once seemed new and exciting and vibrant and full of life and you did everything you could to protect it and did everything you could to keep it shiny and, and fresh and new, it becomes old and, and uninteresting. The songs that you sing at church, well, they become the same old songs. The things that you hear at church, the, the format or the, the programs, or the it's just the same old thing over and over again. Even Christians, when they first give their lives to Jesus, they're usually full of passion and excitement, newness of life, and it, it fades over time. The routines that we develop that once excited us and drove our faith, well, they become boring and they become lackluster and they feel old and uninteresting. Or maybe just like a vehicle, sometimes the dirt of whatever season of life you're in gets into your life. Maybe there's an accident where the scuffs and scars can't be taken out like you would with a vehicle. Jesus said 
that would happen. Jesus said in a story with the uh, parable of a sower sowing seed, is that you can't see what kind of soil all the time uh, that soil is going to be. You don't know what kind of soil you're putting that seed into. It looks good on the surface, but sometimes it's going to fade away quickly. And one of those kinds of soil is just that after a time, there's something else that it's exciting that comes along that draws our attention away and draws our hearts away. And our faith that was once new and exciting becomes old and uninteresting. That's why we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Missing Church. We've learned over the last two weeks that church is actually bigger than we could have possibly imagined because the story of the church is actually wrapped up in the one big story that God is telling all through history. And sometimes we miss church because of the things that we used to enjoy. Well, they're not there or they're not exciting anymore to us. And in reality, what helps us to realign ourselves so that we don't miss what church is all about is to remember that there's things that God enjoys and God likes, and he wants to see these things happen through and in the church. And when we align ourselves to that understanding of what the church is all about, then that excitement that newness, that freshness, that freshness really starts to come back. We learned last week that the church is not just something that we go to, but it's a place that we belong to. It's a people that we become a part of. And it's a chance to become part of something bigger in our lives because of the promise that Jesus made to build his church. So what do we do when faith, when church moves from new and exciting and full of life to maybe old, uninteresting, and, well, it doesn't seem to have a lot of life at all? Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me in them to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, because it's there we see that, well, while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a background. Uh, Paul, the writer of this book, he's planted churches all over the known world. He's deeply concerned for the Christians in Colossae so that they will continue to live a life worthy of the Lord. You know, that just what we're talking about, that sometimes the things that we enjoy are misaligned from the things that God enjoys. And so he gives them this great reminder that the gospel of Jesus Christ is bearing fruit all over the world. That they not be able to see it, they, not, they may not be able to see it, they might not be able to hear firsthand accounts all the time like Paul has access to those accounts, but he wants them to know that the gospel all over the world is bearing fruit. And it's doing something that's amazing. When people are giving their lives to Jesus, he's describing that people are re being rescued from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son, of the Son of God. That they're moving from these places where they were in bondage spiritually and they're being rescued and finding freedom and finding real life. And of course, that's still happening today. The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Our challenge is not that we don't 
have that information. Our challenge is, is that we are constantly being bombarded with things that we ought to be talking about and ought to be thinking about. Some of the things are just local. Some of the things are national. And some of the things are global. But we're constantly being bombarded with information. Um, if you've got a phone, every once in a while your phone will ding with maybe an update of some news or some things that you need to know about or that people think that you need to know about. And that can become so overwhelming, it can become so burdensome that it's information overload. And what Paul is saying is, look, let's just refocus back to on the things that God says is newsworthy. The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. And here's why that is so critical. The reason why you and I begin to feel like our faith is kind of old and uninteresting is not because the gospel has changed. It's because something has changed with me. Something has changed with you. The gospel is still building people into the church, into this movement, a group of people on mission with God's message. And when that gospel becomes old and uninteresting to me, it's because I've done something with that gospel. And this is what I've done. I've failed to prioritize it in my life. You see, one of my uh, mentors, uh, Kent Edwards, once said that you set your priorities and your priorities will set you. So today, what I want to do is to help all of us see that the church is God's priority and that it needs to be a priority to us as well. But, hear me well, church. I don't want to do it through guilt. My job is to not try to say, look at you, you haven't done this and you need to do better. That is not what I hope to do. Because that's not why the church is a priority. There are all sorts of medias, all sorts of information sources that are telling you this is what needs to be a priority in your life. And I'm simply going to let the Bible speak for itself because the reason the gospel and the church is a priority to us is because Jesus is a priority. Last week, when, uh, if you got a chance to listen to the message, uh, you remember that we talked about how Jesus asks all of us a question. Who do you say I am? That there's room for us to wrestle with, this is who I understand Jesus to be. But what Paul is about to demonstrate to us in this, in this letter to the church in uh, Colossians, in Colossae, is that we all have room to expand our understanding of, the, of who exactly Jesus is. That there's a way that we think we know Jesus and then we stop. But we can investigate this even further and we should. We need to know for certain to grasp who Jesus is. And that's what we see in Colossians 1 starting at the 15th verse. We see this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all 
creation. This is the accurate picture of who Jesus is. So let's unpack this a little bit. He's the image of the invisible God. In other words, he's making what is invisible to us to see normally and making it visible. And that means a couple of things. The one thing is, is that that means that God wants to be known. He's not trying to hide. He's not trying to hide who he is, but he wants to be known. And what he's saying is, if you want to know who I am, look at Jesus. Read about Jesus in the Gospels. Read about Jesus in the New Testament. See how Jesus is promised in the Old Testament, and you will see God himself. You will understand who he is. He is the physical reality of the unseen God. And he's not only the image, but he's the firstborn. He wasn't literally born. What this is simply talking about is rank and privilege, that he is the, the first, the, the first of the, the children, the, sort of the one who would be the, the heir apparent, so to speak, in some traditional households. He has priority, he has status, he has power, he has, well, he is supreme. And this is amazing, because this tells us that Jesus is unique among all people. He's unique because he has a unique relationship with God. He is the image of the invisible God that we cannot see. But when we look at Jesus, we see God. And that he has a unique relationship to the rest of the world, and actually even bigger than the rest of the world, that he has rank, that he has position, that he has prestige, that he has power, that he has supremacy. Look at verse 16. For in him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Did you notice the, the presuppositions that Paul uses to describe Jesus? We have in him, through him, and for him. That's how all-encompassing, that's how supreme Jesus is is he has everything if it exists in creation it came about because of jesus it came through him jesus is the agent of creation he is the one who does it it was like at uh the beginning of all of creation and all of time when god said let there be jesus was the one who took that command and put it all together as if God was the one who bought all the groceries, but Jesus is the one who took the ingredients and make the meal. It's as if God was the one, the Father, who said, I'm giving you all of these colors to pick from, and Jesus was the one who made the painting. It's through him, and it's for him. It belongs to him. In other words, God saw everything that was created and then he turned to Jesus and said, this is for you. And that is so important for us to understand because when we think about this, we think that all of creation is for us. But isn't it interesting that if we were to tell someone else, if you were to go home and tell uh, your spouse, if you were to go home and tell your kids that life is all about you, that it's for you. They would laugh at you. You know that if you were to live ultimately for yourself, you would end up separated from other people. 
life makes so much more sense. And it works out a whole lot better when we wrap our minds around the fact that this is not about us. That all of creation is not about us. So where do we fit in that? Well, we start to see this unpack a little bit in verse 17. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the one who existed before. He created all of the things. He existed before them. He owns them. It's for him. But he's also the sustainer of all things. Jesus is not an abstract, hands-off, whatever you want to do, do it kind of a God. He is intimately interested in sustaining what he has created. And that's amazing because that has an incredible impact on us. It not only means that God has set forth a universal set of laws and principles that make life better, that we can learn, that we can grow, that we can utilize in order to make our particular existence a better place to be. But it also demonstrates that God is interested in you and that he's not surprised by anything that's happened in your life so far. You know, I shared this at the beginning of our series a couple of weeks ago that this series, Missing Church, is actually a series that was first preached by a friend of mine named Bo Eckert, who is the lead pastor at Calvary Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He and I serve on Crosstalk Global together, and he loaned me this series, sent me notes, sent me research, sent me uh, image slides so that we could create our series out of that. And I do want to kind of give representation to that and give props to Bo for allowing us to use this series. But this is what he says about it. God is not in a panic about you and your life the way sometimes you're in a panic about the things you face in your life. Jesus is not the ambulance driver who shows up after the accident happens. He was with you beforehand and knows how to help you process that and process all of the painful experiences in your life because he has a plan for your life. One that when we begin to recognize that the world's not about us, the reality's not about us, the creation is not about us, but it's about Jesus, that begins to make a lot more sense. And it makes life better. Because verse 18 says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. Jesus is the the firstborn over all creation. He's the first in the church. Again, he has all of the power, the title, the prestige. He's, He's the first. And what supremacy means is that he's preeminent. He has first place. And the reason why is because he not only earned it because of who he is as God's son, but also who he is as the son of man. Verse 19 tells us that he is the fullness of God and that no one else has this status. He's fully God and fully human. But verse 20 starts to describe and onward about 
how it's through His death and resurrection, through His blood that was spilled for us, that He has earned the right to be the head of the church. And we know the Gospel. You know this story that all of us have said to God, we would make a better God than you would. That we deserve to have the universe and the world and the reality, even if it's just a little piece, even if it's a small island, even if it's just a small parcel of land, I deserve to have life to be about me. I deserve to be God in this part of the world, the universe, this small slice, not you. And that's simply sin. To not recognize who God is, to not recognize that the universe is about God, has broken our relationship with Him, and it's broken our relationships with others, and it's broken creation's relationship with Him. And God had every right to come in and crush us as the just judge, saying, who do you think you are? And instead, what we see in the cross is that God's love and righteousness and justice all come together to solve the problem of our sin. To pay the penalty for our sin so that we can be reconciled to God. That's who Jesus is. That's what He has done. That is why He is such a priority in all of creation. And then Jesus does something amazing that we don't really deserve. He comes and says, would you also tell people about how much of a priority I am because of who I am, because of what I've done? And we read in verse 28, that we are to do this inside the church and outside the church. We see that he says, He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching everyone, inside and outside the church, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. In other words, Paul encourages, admonishes, teaches us to make the priority of Jesus that is existent in all of creation, existent in the church, to be our priority in our lives, in every area of life. Make Jesus your priority. Proclaim his message. Be on his mission. Teach, warn, present with wisdom, he says. Wisdom because we want people to respond and receive and accept and understand this new reality. It's not about us being right and proving someone else wrong. It's about helping other people correct the brokenness in their lives and discover that when they also understand that Jesus is supreme in all of creation, that they give their lives to the supremacy of Jesus personally as well. And Paul says, do this with every ounce of energy that Christ has given you. 
strain, work, like, like going to the gym, work out, do this, get involved, get part of this mission, be part of this message, give every part of your life to this. Contend, fight, strain, so that you proclaim Him. In other words, let's make His priorities. Let's make His priority our priority. What is a priority to Him should be a priority to us. His message, His method. You know, the way that Jesus would teach others with love and humility, the way that He would welcome His enemies, He'd never cancel them out. The way that he would take up his cross, denying himself, serving the will of the Father. That should be our priority as well. And it can be your priority. And it starts with recognizing and understanding that maybe the picture of Jesus that we have had is just simply too small. Because it's something that we can contain and control. But here we have a picture of who Jesus really is. That he is firstborn. The image of the invisible God. That he is the head of all creation. Everything exists for him. And that he is the head of the church. He is the ultimate priority in all of creation. So let his priority be your priority. And watch how that changes your life for the better. Some questions, some discussion, some food for thought uh, for you to bring to your growth group or Bible study this week. Or to talk with your family and journal about as well. Question one. How does the fact that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy, which we see in Colossians 1.18, practically impact my daily life? How is Jesus supreme in my relationships, my marriage, my hobbies, my workplace, my finances, my spare time? How is Jesus, how does the fact that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy practically impact my daily life? Don't just think about compartments of life as well. Imagine you could design a perfect day. In light of your perfect day, how does the fact that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy practically impact that day? And question two, since Jesus is the priority of the church, discuss how each of us can do even better at making his priorities our priorities. You know, sometimes we can be blind and assume that we have a great place with Jesus in our lives, but one of the reasons God gives us other people to pursue Jesus with is that they become examples, they become our teachers, they maybe admonish us with wisdom, grace, so that we do better, or that we start things that we should have started maybe a long time ago. 
and they help us to do that along the way. So let's ask people for their input about how we can do even better at making his priorities our priorities. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this picture of who you are goes so far beyond my understanding of you in the day-to-day moments of my life. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to grasp the priority of who you are, the supremacy of who you are in all of creation. And would your Holy Spirit teach each and every one of us how to allow your supremacy, your preeminence, to begin to filter into every part of our lives. Lord, would we help to make your priority our priority. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.